Welcome, my true crime junkies. I am your host, Angela Baum, and this is Trekking True Crimes Podcast, a true crime show where I focus on true crime stories within the trekking industry. But don't worry, you don't need to know anything about the trekking industry to listen and enjoy. You just need to be a fan of true crime. And if that's you, then welcome inside. Also, as a reminder, if you'd like to learn more about my life over the road as a team truck driver, you can listen to my other podcast, Married to the Road, where I share my life over the road and stories along the way. As a reminder, our podcast discusses true crimes and murders. This is not a show for the faint of heart, and it is not intended for young audiences. If you like your podcast ad-free, then head over to our Patreon, located at patreon.com slash Podcast, where for just a dollar a whole month, your episodes are ad-free. And if you need more episodes in your life, then for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode each month, all your episodes are ad-free, and you get a 10% discount on all of our Trekking True Crime Podcast merchandise. Plus, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all of our episodes ad-free. So please be sure to stop by our Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast and sign up today. Welcome, my true crime roadies. I'm your host, Angela Baum, along with my husband, Larry, and this is Trucking True Crime Podcast a true crime show where we focus on true crime stories that happen within the trucking industry. But don't worry, you don't need to know anything about the trucking industry to listen and enjoy the show. You just need to be a fan of true crime. And if that's you, then welcome inside. As a reminder, if you'd like to learn more about our life over the road as team truck drivers, you can listen to our other podcast, Married to the Road where we share our lives over the road and stories along the way with our three furry dogs. As a reminder, our podcast discusses true crimes and murders. This is not a show for the faint of heart, and this is not intended for young audiences. Welcome in all my trucking true crime podcast lovers. We are back. Sorry we missed last week's episode. For those of you guys just joining, I am Angie and I'm here with... Mm, your husband, Larry. Are you sure about that one? You like... I had to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the fog right now. We got Matt's flu. Oh, we went to the Mid-America Truck Show last week. And we both came back with what we're calling the Matt's flu because so many of us were sick. And we've got runny nose, sore throat, coughing, you name it, we've got it. And it's still lingering. Yes. So, we apologize if you might hear us cough a time or two, but we wanted to get this podcast in. And if you've never listened to our podcast before... What's wrong with you? (laughs) Hey, that's good. We are team truckers. We are married. Uh, Actually, our anniversary is coming up. Uh, But we drive what two three months at a time and then go home for about a week not to mention that i know i drive you crazy well that too (laughs) um we also have another podcast you can listen to that one goes out on mondays and it's called married to the road podcast married with the number two in it 
And that one's where we share our life over the road. <laughs> He's staring at me, giving me a funny look. We're so tired. I wanted to say something, but I couldn't think of anything to say. Okay, this this cold is zapping our our my our, zing. our zingers, our one liners. We always have good one liners. Taking away my zingers. Okay, so I'm super proud because you have no idea what we're talking about today, right? This one, I have absolutely no idea. Usually, I know a little, little bit, bit, yeah, of what you're gonna be talking about, but this one. I do not have a clue, so you guys out there and I are going to hear it for the first time. I actually did all my research on this, so it took me about three and a half hours. The other night when you were sick and you were sleeping all night, I was like, ooh, he's sleeping, I'm going to do all my research. And I woke up a couple times and I saw you on the laptop, I'm like, are you still working? You're like, yep. Yep. You are my little workaholic. So I will say, um, the case that we're covering today actually happened in Pearl, Mississippi, and it didn't happen too long ago. It happened back in 2003, 2004, and I was shocked at what little bit of information I could find on this case. Um, usually I'm able to access like police transcripts or even able to get a little bit of a biography on the life story of the person that I'm talking about, which is a serial killer. But this case was really hard to get really good information, and I'm not really sure why. Is that why you were on for so long, doing all that research, yes. trying to find stuff? <clears throat> I was able to find a couple documentaries and a couple movies, but like I couldn't find the history, like his childhood or what made him who he is, because I always find that part interesting. It's like, once you know somebody's a serial killer, it's like you always want to know the backstory. Well, what made him that way? Did they have a hard childhood? And I couldn't find a lot of that information. So, so I have to ask you, did you watch the documentary? I did. I watched a couple documentaries, read a whole bunch of news stories. So <clears throat> I did a lot of work on this podcast. What did you do? Not a thing. I slept. <laughs> uh, I did the hard part. <clears throat> I kept the bed from flying away. Yes. But this case was a really good story. It was a hard one to turn away. So even though I wasn't able to get a ton of great information, I did want to share it. So of course, once you hear this crazy story, you will totally understand why I could not just walk away from this story. I'm intrigued. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. <clears throat> you got to quit talking and, and I'll hear it. Ugh, I'm losing my voice already. Too soon. So we gathered what little info we could, and I just ran with the story. So the story begins on a very humid night. Now, mind you, this is Mississippi in the middle of July, so it is hot, hot, hot. So it was on July 18, 2004, in a really small rural town called Philadelphia, Mississippi. And I think you and I have been there, because... It does sound familiar. Does it sound familiar? <clears throat> so the police 911 received a frantic phone call. And the caller on the other end was a female. And she was crying about how her and her boyfriend were out for a joyride, just enjoying the summer weather. And all of a sudden, they came across something in the roadway. So it said that they were enjoying the cooler nighttime weather when they stumbled across what they thought was a dead woman lying in the middle of the roadway. Now, the 911 dispatcher assured her that they would send police right out to take a look and see what was going on. 
Now, my first thought when I heard this was this poor couple's out for a romantic night out into the rural country, probably looking for a place to go parking, and you come across a dead woman lying in the middle of the road. Middle of the road. I would be freaking scared to death. That would be a mood killer. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Probably looking for a place to go parking and you come across. Bow, chicka, bow, bow. <laughs> so as the police pulled up on this scene, they at first saw the young couple who had called in the phone call to 911. And they were standing by a black Camaro looking completely shaken up. Police described the female as crying, um almost to the point of hysterics, and the man was just standing there looking like he was in complete daze and shocked. As the police started to approach the female that was lying in the middle of the roadway, they quickly realized that she was already gone and beyond help and repair. There was no point in calling for an ambulance or trying to perform CPR. What they found was a young African-American woman laying face down in the middle of the roadway. Behind her back, her hands were tied with white zip ties. Looking closer, they soon realized that this poor woman had also suffered two gunshot wounds to her back. Little did the police know then, but that couple that made the 911 call, they were the actual killers. Their names were Rachel... I know. (laughs) That was a twist I did not see coming. (laughs) Their names were Rachel Cumberland, and she was 35 years of age. And her boyfriend, who was a long-haul truck driver, named John Robert Williams, and he was age 28 years old. <clears throat> so we're going to go back and tell a little bit about their history, and we're going to talk about Rachel first. So Rachel grew up not too far from where you and I live now, but she grew up in the state of Missouri, and she had a really rough childhood growing up. Um, everything I could find out just said she did not have a close family relationship with either one of her parents or even her siblings. And according to the people in her own town of Carthage, Missouri, they said that she did not have a close relationship to any of her family growing up. Um, she grew up in a lot of poverty and it sounded like both of her parents had some type of addiction issues. I believe one of them had a drug addiction and the other one had a problem with alcoholism. As she got older, she soon learned how to start providing for herself. From waitressing to dealing drugs, anything just to get by. So it sounded like from the age of 16 on up, she was learning how to just, you know, get by, take care of herself because she knew that there was nobody to rely on. She was getting them street smarts. Yeah, at a young age, unfortunately. Rachel was known to have a very hardened personality, and I'm sure a lot of that was because of her childhood. Uh, Those that knew her said that she, uh, a lot of it was because she had received no attention from her own family members growing up. Um, In her early 20s, Rachel was hopping from one deadbeat waitressing gig to another. But no matter how much she worked, she just couldn't seem to make enough money to get by from month to month. So that's when she began to dabble in the world of dealing drugs. Mainly it sounded like she was just dealing pot and it was to her local friends and some of the bar patrons. So it was not like she was doing, you know, heavy drug dealing where she was doing like meth or heroin. It sounded like she was just kind of doing pot. Just Nothing something hardcore. No, just <clears throat> something to kind of make the ends meet. It wasn't too long before Rachel wound up on the wrong side of the law when she was busted by the police for her drug dealing. She soon found herself being sentenced to prison for 18 months for her drug dealing stint. 
While inside the prison, Rachel learned many tricks of the trades from other inmates. And rather than finding Jesus and getting herself clean and coming out in order to change her life and start over, instead she found that prison only made her more of a hard person, um, making her more argumentative, angry, and then when she did get released, she became restless in her small town. She just felt like there wasn't enough excitement for her in that small little town of Carthage. <clears throat> so after being released and now having a criminal record, Rachel went back to the only thing that she knew how to do, and that was waitressing. One of the things they said was Rachel had hoped that when she got out of jail, she could find a different job, obviously not having to go back to waitressing, but now having a felony criminal record had made it darn near impossible. Yes, that would make it very hard. Rachel decided that she wanted to try to find a man in her life. She wanted to find a man that was equally as hardened as she was. A man who was non-emotional, tough, and would provide and take care for her. So she was looking for someone to, you know, here she is struggling every month. Not only is she waitressing, but she's selling drugs, and she just wants somebody to... She wanted a bad boy. Yeah, she wanted a bad boy to come in, sweep her off her feet, and somebody to start taking care of her for a change. But finding that type of man in Carthage, Carthage, Missouri was proving not to be an easy one. Until one night as she was working at a diner located off the interstate when a rugged, young, handsome truck driver named John happened to came into the diner. John was also raised in the South just like Rachel. He grew up in Mississippi. John was known to his friends and family for having a very thick but yet quiet Southern accent. He was very laid back in his ways, but he also, like Rachel, had a very detached personality. Growing up, John had a very close relationship with his mother, but a very strained one with his father. <clears throat> as soon as John was able, he soon went out and got his CDL license and became a long-haul truck driver. This was a dream of John's. He'd always wanted to become a truck driver. John loved the nomadic lifestyle of being a long-haul truck driver. Not only was the money amazing, but he loved the opportunity that he got to see the country and meet new people along the way. Hmm, that sounds like us. That's what I love about it. We love the nomadic lifestyle, meet new people. For a few months, whenever John had the opportunity, he would come to Carthage, Missouri to see Rachel. The two quickly began dating. John would share his wild tales of all of his adventures over the road, and Rachel was always there with an eager ear, willing to listen and stroke his ego. So it sounded like the first few months of their relationship, it was, you know how it is. Like how, okay, let's be honest, how you and I were when we first got together. It was hot and heavy. <coughs> Excuse me. It just sounded like, you know, one of those whirlwind romances where they can't keep their hands off of each other and... He would come into town every couple of weeks and just stay for like a weekend and they'd hang out together and everything was awesome. Weekend lovers. Yes. Oh my goodness, I'm sorry. This cold is just driving me crazy. It was on one of these visits. Um, so as I was talking, you know, Rachel said that she was looking for a man who was hardened, a man that would take care of her. But John was like the exact opposite. He was very quiet and very timid and not something she was used to seeing. She actually found John's laid-back country personality a refreshing change to the men that she would normally see in her small-town area. So like a lot of couples in the early stages of their relationship, these two were known around town for not being able to keep their hands off of each other 
constantly making out in public, especially in the corners of the bars. The chemistry between these two could not be denied, and they found themselves starting to crave each other more and more and miss each other more and more. It was on one of these visits to visit Rachel that John asked her if she would be interested in joining him out on the road on his truck. Thinking that this could be a fresh start and a new life for her, Rachel quickly jumped at the opportunity to go see the country with her new boy toy, John. <clears throat> so for the next few years, it seems that things go awesome as they would travel between Mississippi and Oklahoma delivering their loads. And before long, Rachel really got the hang of being on the road as a, truck, as a trucker's girlfriend. So these two have been on the road for about two years. And we're going to talk about this particular weekend. Um, so it said after being on the road for a while, the couple decided that they were going to take a few days off. So they were taking like a 34-hour reset, which we're familiar with a 34-hour reset, right? Yes, day and a half. About a day and a half. Not too much time, just enough time for you to relax, unwind. So this time they were going to spend it in a casino. And <clears throat> so they were going to Philadelphia, Mississippi, and Rachel happened to have her car there. So they dropped off the truck at the truck stop and hopped into Rachel's black Camaro to go hit a casino that was in that area for a few days. So they hopped into Rachel's Camaro and they headed for the local casino, which was called the Silver Star Casino. This was just going to be a weekend of fun for them, a way to blow off some steam, maybe win some money and have a little fun. <clears throat> so as the two of them arrived in the parking lot of the casino, they came across a young woman looking like she was completely lost in the parking lot. She was just wandering around, looked like she was looking for a car and just couldn't find what she needed. So after speaking to the young woman, they discovered that she was 20-year-old Nikki Hill. <clears throat> Nikki had gone to the casino that night with a large group of friends to have a little fun just like John and Rachel are wanting to do. Something the group that she had been with had done several times before. This was a normal routine thing that they would do on the weekends. <clears throat> the group that Nikki hung out with, though, was also known to be very, very overprotective of Nikki. As it turns out, Nikki, even though she was 20 years old, due to seizures from a childhood disease, Nikki had suffered a lot of mental illnesses in her life and had the mental capacity of a young teenager. Later on, we discover that Nikki, even though she was only 20, was also a young mother to a two-year-old daughter. But on that night, somehow, Nikki had wandered off and could not find her friends. So, pretty much, you have this young, vulnerable girl who's got the mentality, like, 11 and 12-year-old, who's out in the parking lot, and she can't find her friends, and she's trying to find her friend's car. So, it kind of sets this scenario for you. You know, young girl in trouble. Later on, when police were doing their investigation, they actually saw on two video cameras <clears throat> that Nikki was seen wandering the floor of the casino looking for her friends. You can see her just pacing back and forth. She can't find her friends. They're not where they normally were. Then they see Nikki wander off into the parking lot looking for them as well. And that is the last time that Nikki was ever seen on video surveillance footage. This is also where she met John and Rachel in the parking lot. In the Black Camaro. In the Black Camaro. Supposedly, Rachel was the one who approached Nikki. Supposedly, she explained that her and John were in town looking for a good time. 
and that recently the two of them had started experimenting sexually with threesomes and group sex. Normally, she said, that when, when they were experimenting, they would hire prostitutes to come into the truck with them. Obviously, Nikki was not a prostitute. But the two of them tried for a while <clears throat> to make Nikki feel comfortable and to try to convince her to get into the car with them and go back to the hotel for a little late night tryst. But, according to Rachel, Nikki was not confident about getting into a car with two complete strangers. Good for you, Nikki. You read the red. You good read for the, you, Nikki. You read the red flags. You knew this is probably not a good idea. Supposedly, that is when John flipped out, grabbed Nikki, and threw her into the back seat of Rachel's car. The three of them then proceeded to a local hotel, where, according to, <clears throat> where according to Rachel, John grabbed a shotgun from out of the car. He then forced Rachel to tie up Nikki inside the hotel room. Then John forced the two women to have sex while he sat there and watched the two of them. Then later on, he also got involved in this little tryst. This little sexcapade went on the entire night. Finally, the next afternoon, the three of them get back into Rachel's car and start heading back to the casino. Now, Rachel stated that she thought John was just going to take Nikki back to the casino and drop her off and then everything was going to be all good and they would go back to their truck and be on their merry way. Instead, supposedly, John pulled off onto a dirt road on their way to the casino. He made Nikki get out of the back of the car, kneel onto the ground, and then shot her two times in her back and then simply left her there on the side of the road. Now, Rachel stated that she feared that John would also try to kill her. So that's when she came up with the plot and the idea of calling 911. So she told the dispatcher that they were out joyriding when they happened to come across this body in the middle of the roadway. Now, after the police found Nikki's body, <clears throat> they had let John and Rachel go, seeing how upset that they were and told them that they may make a follow-up with them later. So pretty much, the police get there, they get their statement from John and Rachel, and they're like, eh, I really don't think this couple had anything to do with it. I think they're just innocent people calling in what they saw. We'll get their information and we'll let them go. And then if we need to talk with them later, we'll touch base. So pretty much, they let them, let them mosey on down the road. Let a truck driver leave, <clears throat> and he could cross all kinds of states and be gone. That's true. That is so true. So a few days later, they did perform an autopsy on Nikki. The autopsy was performed, and they found out that not only had she been shot twice in the back, but she also had been severely beaten and raped. They said that the amount of torture this poor woman received was probably the worst thing that they had seen in years in their county. That's so sad. So, <clears throat> now the police had no leads. They were talking with family members and friends. Nobody could figure out... Who in the world would want to harm Nikki? She just, she was such a quiet person. She had a very tight-knit tight group of friends. Nobody could figure out who would do this to Nikki. So having no leads and nowhere to turn, the officers decided, you know what? We're going to go re-interview John and Rachel, and maybe we can get some more information. But the address that John and Rachel had given to the police officers did not exist. When they got to the supposed address, there was no house there, so they weren't there. So now they're like, okay, well, how do we get a hold of these two? So finally they decided that they went to John's mother's house. 
Her name was Dorothy Williams to see if she knew where the two of them might be located at. That is when Dorothy <clears throat> told the police about a very well-hidden secret that not many people knew about this killer couple. It seems several years prior, John had come addicted to methamphetamines. He had told his mother that it was the only thing that helped keep him awake and allow him to do his job as a long-haul truck driver. So those of you guys that aren't familiar with truck drivers, you know, we could drive anywhere from 9 to 11 hours a day. It's really tiring and grueling, especially if you have to drive those hours at nighttime. It makes it that much harder. So I guess John became addicted to meth because it helped to keep him awake and alert. And so he became a big-time addict of meth. Uh, shortly after meeting Rachel, she too also became addicted to meth. So the way I understood it was she'd only done pot up until the time that she met John, but wanting to, you know, kind of appease him, she started doing meth also. So the two of them became addicted to meth. So the addiction to meth explained their up and down roller coaster of a relationship that these two had. One minute they're lovey-dovey and the next minute they're fighting like cats and dogs with the meth. The meth kind of explains that. That explains it all. <laughs> that explains it all. Where they where they were, they had un, they had an unusually intensified attraction to each other, and partially this was due to the meth. Also, according to John's mother Dorothy, shortly after the killing of Nikki, John and Rachel had broken up. She wasn't sure why, but shortly after the death of Nikki, they just suddenly broke up. But before John decided to leave town and get back onto his truck, he did ask Rachel to do him one last favor. Just always one last favor. Well, that favor was he wanted him to hide a shotgun. A shotgun of his where no one could find it. The thing is, Nikki had been shot with a shotgun. So this intrigued the police because that is exactly what Nikki had been shot with. So the police started on a search to locate both John and Rachel. And uh, that's when they found Rachel has been shacked up in a trailer with a brand new boyfriend. So she had moved to an adjacent town. Just I mean, this all happened within a week's period. So she moved a couple days later to a brand new town. Now she's shacking up with a new guy in a new mobile home and a new completely different town. And they don't know where John is. So... Um, That, so they take Nikki in, and that's when Rachel tells them the story that it was all John who had lost it and threatened both Nikki and Rachel with a gun at the hotel. Forget that the two of them, for, forcing the two of them to have sex in the hotel, and then eventually killing Nikki and leaving her on the side of the road. So pretty much Rachel's trying to throw all the blame onto John, saying, it was all his fault. He's the one that kidnapped us. He's the one that forced us to have sex. And, he made me do exactly. it. Exactly. So police listen to Rachel's story and they take it all in and then they finally ask Rachel to tell them where was the gun that John supposedly had used in the murder and that she supposedly had hit. So after a little bit of hemming and hawing, Rachel finally decided that she would lead them out into the woods behind the mobile home where she'd been living with this new boyfriend. Out there, police found the shotgun wrapped up in a tarp way back in the woods. Knowing that the gun was only the first part of the puzzle solving this murder, 
They finally told Rachel that in order for her to receive some type of leniency on her sentence, that she was going to have to also tell them where John was. So after delaying as long as she could, she finally eventually wound up telling the police that John had taken a new job down in southern part of Mississippi. He was now a dump truck driver on a construction site. So of course the police went down there to the construction site and sure enough, John was there and they made their arrest. Now, John gets back to the police station. So he's been extradited back to in, uh, Philadelphia, Mississippi. And all of a sudden he finds out that Nikki is crying like a canary to the police and John is absolutely furious. John wanted his chance to tell his side of the story. So here's these two pretty much pointing fingers at each other saying, uh-uh, Now he's uh -uh. saying it's all her fault. Exactly. It was a he said, she said. So what's going to happen with this story? They both get the same sentence. <laughs> Tell you what, we'll find out in part two. Part two! Part two! Oh my god, I have to wait till part two? <laughs> You're mean. <coughs> I know. Sorry guys, we'll have to find out in part two. Lucky for you, part two will be released on the same day. So just stay tuned, you guys. We'll have part two out shortly. In the meantime, don't forget to listen to us on Wednesday nights on Taillights with the Bombs on TNC Radio at 7 p.m. Central. And don't forget our second podcast, which is released every Monday, Married to the Road. We'll be back shortly with part two. In the meantime, you guys, keep your... Keep your eyes on the road and your ears on us. Thanks, everybody. Have you ever been interested about what all it takes to be a truck driver out here, delivering the goods all across America? Or more importantly, what is it like being a team trucker out here with your significant other 24 hours a day in a small confined space, working together, eating together, sleeping together, you name it. If you've ever been curious about the trucking industry, please listen to Larry and I's other podcast, Married to the Road. Again, that's married, the number two, the road. Please be sure to give it a listen today and don't forget to hit that follow button. Thank you so much, my true crime roadies, for giving our podcast a listen. We really appreciate you listening to our Trucking True Crime podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to visit our Instagram page or our TikTok page, also Trekking True Crime Podcast. And don't forget that you can visit our Facebook page as well. Again, Trekking True Crime Podcast. Be sure to like, share, and follow, and be sure to share out our podcast to all your friends. We'll be back here next week with another great episode. Thank you so much, my true crime roadies. Be safe out there.